come now to the reading of God's Word. You'll be invited to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 1. We've uh, begun, just begun, at uh, Bethel, at Brockville, to uh, work through the book of Hebrews. And this is the um, beginning reflection of this beautiful, this beautiful book slash letter. Chose it for you this morning as sort of a beginning to your new year. I know that we're almost at the end of January here, but nonetheless, it is the first year of the month, and we'll reflect on that a little bit as we've sung from Hymn 555, Another Year is Dawning, again this morning. So, hear now the Word of God, Hebrews chapter 1, verses. I'll read to the end of verse 4, but our message is verses about, one verse, about verses 1, 2, and 3. Hear the Word of God. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who beginning, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. That verse 4 makes the text of the following sermon, so you're just going to have to invite me back if you would like to hear the sermon on verse 4 and following. But today we contemplate verses 1 to 3. May you be blessed by the message, brothers and sisters. Dear brothers and sisters in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, on this, on this first day of the week, this, this um, first month of the year, 2023, 20, um, I declare to you that I don't know what's going to happen. There are, of course, some absolutes we can count on, and we shall come to those soon enough, but for the future coming seconds and minutes and hours and days and weeks and years, I am unable, for the most part, to tell you what's coming. This world that we live in is full of unknowns. There have been many things that have happened to you and to me that we just don't have answers for. There will be many things coming that will happen to you and to me that we just cannot resolve. We will strive to control our surroundings. And by the grace of God, some of that will be maintained rather well. And then the uncontrollable will occur, and we will simply be called to react. Maybe you have noticed there's some hair missing on my face. Uh, My brothers and I um, shaved our heads for my oldest brother, Ed, who's fighting stomach cancer. He didn't ask for that. And many of you know what that feels like and, and how we're dealing with it. We can't control these things but we are all we can do is react in this last year there has been life amongst us there has been death amongst us there has been success and there has been failure there has been great joy and there has been great sadness in some cases exhaustion has set in in some cases good rest has occurred some things have been resolved and yet other things 
need to come to their proper conclusions, and we anxiously await for that to happen. Day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute even, we have strived and struggled, rejoiced and lamented. On this Our Lord's Day, at the end of this month of this year, 2023, I thought it fitting to bring to you a new book for this morning's worship service because it introduces to us, because it reintroduces to us, because it reminds us of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Dear brothers and sisters, no matter what has happened, no matter what has happened to you, no matter what shall yet come, the one constant that you have in this life, is your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. With the book of Hebrews, it is hard to know, actually, who wrote it and to whom it had originally been written. It is hard to pinpoint when it was written as well. Many have thought on these things and all have concluded, well, it could have been this, or it could have been written in that year, or it could have been written to these particular people, but that's where it has to stop. The Holy Spirit inspired someone to write this letter to fellow believers whose names that we don't know. It was written after Jesus Christ ascended, during those early first years of the Christian church, and yet amidst all of these unknowns, Jesus Christ and his, and his preeminence stand out. Tradition, many different traditions say Paul wrote it, and you know what, that's okay, it doesn't explicitly say. But the fact that we don't know leaves us with what we do know. And that is the preeminence of Christ. And I hope you hear him today in this light. The unknowns make this message timeless for us. And so on this first day, on this first, last Lord's Day of January of the year 2023, let us be reintroduced to our salvation. And here's our theme, to know my salvation is to know my Savior, Jesus Christ. To know my salvation is to know my Savior, Jesus Christ. We have three points, the voice of creation, secondly, the upholder of creation, and then thirdly, the fulfillment of creation. Firstly, Jesus is the voice of creation. The book of Hebrews opens up to us with how God speaks to us. Right at verse 1, in fact. The entire Old Testament is summarized. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets. In Genesis, we know how the book begins. In the beginning, God. And with God, it takes a little time for him to begin speaking to his image bearers in love and in relationship. It takes little time, was I mean, uh, sorry, I'm mumbling my words. Um, it takes little time for God to start speaking to his image bearers in love and in relationship with them. With Adam, responsibilities are given and consequences of life and death are pronounced the conversation begun in the Garden of Eden. Children, how does it end? It ends with discipline and with pain dealt out to the man and to the woman, but not before the promise of the seed 
who will bruise the serpent's head, Genesis 3.15. From there forward, since a fallen humanity no longer may stand before our holy God, he speaks, God speaks at various times. Be reminded of the incomplete and ongoing nature of this mode of communication. And in various ways, be reminded of God speaking to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and others without faith even. Think of uh, uh, Balaam and Balak in dreams and visions and with dark sayings. To some, God speaks directly. And then as Israel becomes a nation, beginning with Moses, we see a slow transition and a particular defining of the offices of prophet, priest, and king. We see, we have seen aspects of these offices since Moses and through the judges, uh, even leading through Samuel to Saul and then King David, who, as we shall better see this afternoon through Nathan the prophet, God's words being spoken as while yet the offices of priest and tabernacle type worship remain and continue. It is through these Old Testament types that God speaks. But last December we have just celebrated the conception and birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Through these simple means the Son of God entered the human race to be for it what salvation so dearly needs. The author of Hebrews declares after summarizing the entire Old Testament in one verse. It's fulfillment at verse 2. God who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his son. And we could survey then the New Testament for the Christ's conception and birth and life and death and resurrection and ascension. This is why the New Testament opens with the gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. What follows are the many writings of the Apostle Paul and of St. Peter and nameless other and the, and the nameless author of Hebrews and John who concludes the Bible with none, other, with none other than the revelation of Jesus Christ. Note these final sayings, beloved. Everything in the New Testament fulfills the forward-pointing hope prophesied of the Old Testament and is centered fully upon the eternal Son of God incarnated by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, to live and to die for the sins of his people that they may live on in eternity with their Lord, prophet, priest, and King Jesus Christ. Verse 2 continues, Whom he, that is God, has appointed heir of all things. All hope present in Scripture, from Genesis 1 to the revelation of Jesus Christ, chapter 22, verse 21, is to reveal God's Son to us. What a thought, given the amount of what we have called redemptive history that is covered in God's word. From creation forward to the prophecies that look forward to the consummation of all things. I declare to you, as does the author of Hebrews at verse 2, that God has appointed Jesus Christ, his son, the heir of all things. 
Finally, for this point, as consummation is fulfilled in Jesus Christ, note that all things began with him as well. This is where verse 2 ends. Through whom also he, that is God, made the worlds. Tell me, is it hard to see Jesus in the Old Testament? Here, we confess that when God spoke, let there be light. Jesus was speaking. The beginning of the Gospel of John agrees, verses 1 to 16. Let's turn there for a second. John 1, verses 1 to 16. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was... And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and with him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Let's, uh, sorry, um, jump to verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory and the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, and he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. He is the voice of creation that redeems you from your sin with the scent creative and recreative power of the Holy Spirit as per his Father's will. Well, then being called the voice of creation, we call him, secondly, the upholder of creation. Now, from a purely human perspective, congregation, it is one thing to create, and it is completely something else to maintain. There are many people out there who are exceptionally good at starting something. There are many people out there who are exceptionally good at taking what's been started and bringing it to its conclusion. It is a rarity to find both skill sets in the same person. And on a personal and experiential note, I have floated around different engineering consulting firms and construction businesses from sales departments to engineering floors, from the ideas and minds of the minds of inventors to uh, the proof of concept of the prototype at best there is always a sort of playful banter back and forth in regards to the usefulness of these different areas of expertise compared to the tasks at hand. Simply put, upfront sales and back-end engineering never quite get along. There are no such difficulties in the Trinity. Now, when I think of creation being upheld, children, what do you think of? I think of God's providence. And then, of course, being confessional, I am drawn to Lord's Day 10 of the Heidelberg Catechism, where we ask, what do you understand by the providence of God? 
And there I find the answer somewhat poetic. Providence is the almighty and ever-present power of God by which God upholds as with his hand heaven and earth and all creatures and so rules them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruit and lean years, fruitful and lean years, food and drink, health and sickness, prosperity and poverty, all things in fact come to us not by chance but by his fatherly hand. Now this question and answer follows Lord's Day 9, of course, which introduces to us God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. The Apostles' Creed calls the Father the creator and providential sustainer of all creation, and our Heidelberg breaks down the statements of the Creed this way. So is there a conflict here then? between the Father's and the Son's providential upholding of creation. Well, congregation, the Father did not create, and the Son did not recreate, and the Holy Spirit did not fill in the gaps along the way. There is not present in the Trinity a pantheon of gods at odds with one another, fixing each other's mistakes. It is heresy to even suggest such things. In the Trinity, there is perfect union and communion. One God, three persons. The Father wills, the Son fulfills, the Holy Spirit instills. Be helpful in our understanding of this fully impossible to understand concept by asking a little three-letter single-worded question, how? How did the Father create heaven and earth? And therefore, how are all such things providentially upheld? Now, we have called the Christ the voice of creation. We have called him the heir of all things. We have declared his presence even at creation, speaking all of creation into existence. How does the Father create and sustain? Through the word of his Son. Verse 3 of our passage gives us three attributes of God. His glory, his person, and his power. Hebrews 1 verse 3. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. That's how that verse begins. Let us consider God's glory first. And I take you to Exodus 33, where Moses, who was granted profound privilege before God, is addressed. No one since Adam had been brought so close to God's presence, and yet even Moses needed to be protected from it. And at verse 18 of Exodus 33, we read, And he, that is Moses, said, Please show me your glory. And he that is God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, here is a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock. So it shall be while my glory passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and will cover you with my hand and will... And while I pass by, then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back. But my face shall not be seen. And then of his person. 
God is one of glory and he is of his person. I take you to John 14 where Philip requests the Christ to reveal the Father. And Jesus' response at John 14 verse 9 is, Have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? And finally, by the word of his power, I take you to Colossians 1, verses 15 to 18, where Paul proclaims the preeminence of the Christ who, with, who drew him from his fallen state as well. Paul says he is the image. Paul says Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created and are in he- that are in heaven and that are on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that, all- that in all things he may have preeminence. In this we understand that to know the glory And the person and the power of God is to understand the worship, is to understand and worship the Son of God, Jesus Christ. This makes him the upholder of creation. Well, thirdly, Jesus is then the fulfillment of creation. We have spoken about how the Christ is central to all of creation. We have thought on his presence and his voice present at creation and his power providentially over creation. His greatness to us is too fantastic and too, uh, to fully understand. And yet these are the thoughts we are left with to consider from the opening of the book of Hebrews. For we finite creatures that we are, the author of Hebrews in the last half of verse 3 allows us to ask, When? When is Jesus the fulfillment of creation? Thus far it has been declared to us that God speaks to his people and that in the fullness of time he speaks to us through his son. His son is the appointed heir of all things, an heir as much as the world and humanity can understand has not yet received an inheritance Once the inheritance is received, he is no longer the heir but the master. So when did the father's heir receive the inheritance? It is clear from our passage that the Christ, our passage and others, that the Christ was present at creation but also lives eternally with the father. How we creatures who are tethered to the timeline can fathom timeless eternity... Much of that has to be left to the mysteries of God, but it has been the good will of the Father for such an inheritance to be received from actions taken in this redemptive history. Verse 3 continues, and dare I say, simply put, and yet there is nothing simple about it when he had himself purged our sins. Before we come to the second half of that phrase, we must slow down and think on this. 
Beloved, you cannot go one year, one month, one day, one hour, one minute without finding ourselves guilty before our holy God. Original sin, original sin given to us by our first parents has taken away, has taken care of that, and we only add to that account by our sinning. Even the most pious amongst us suffer from the disease of original sin. And here we read at verse 3, He by himself purged our sins. It took his life and his death to do so. At Christmas we consider part of his young life. In his conception, the Holy Spirit was present and remained with him through his out, throughout his life. In his circumcision and in Joseph and Mary presenting him at the temple, all the aspects of the law concerning him were met. At the age of 12, they found him being about his father's business, Luke 2.49. Luke follows this with the fact that Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men, so much so that at his baptism, the voice of his father is heard as the Holy Spirit descends upon him as a dove, and we hear the voice, You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. Luke 3.22 No sooner in Luke's gospel... Then after Jesus' baptism, he is spirited into the wilderness where the devil tempts him with more than you or I could ever handle. And he is triumphant. And the devil leaves for a more opportune time, Luke 4.13. And then his ministry amongst us begins, doesn't it? He calls disciples, simple men like you and me, to his side. For three years they walk with him and talk with him. Unbelief wages a lost war of debate against him. Many miracles are delivered by him and witnessed by many. His disciples are taught what it means to live for their Lord. And then he goes on to teach them what it means to die for his people. His arrest is unjust. His trial a mockery, his chastisements brutal, and his death cursed. For everyone who hangs on a tree is cursed. Galatians 3.13, referencing Deuteronomy 21.23. And then having suffered at the feeble hands of fallen humanity... For three dark hours, he faces God's wrath against the sins of the world. Yes, his death was more than sufficient for the sins of the world, but effectual only towards his people. And in his final words and in his final cries, he releases his spirit to go to be with the repentant thief's spirit which is with his father it was at that moment beloved in the words it is finished John 19:30 that the Christ ordained the ordained heir of God the father became your king
And the last statement of verse 3 recapture what follows after your king dies. Three days later, the tomb is found empty. Women are told, disciples don't believe. Jesus appears to many. Thomas puts his finger in the hole of his hands and in the cut on his side. And then your king ascends to sit, verse 3, down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And our Apostles' Creed declares that from there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. We prayed of the beauty of outside this morning in the elders' room downstairs. All of this, beloved, all of the beauty found in the faces of your children, all of the beauty found in your spouses, all of the beauty of the relationships you keep, all of the day-to-day beauty of creation, all of the things that you do, all of the blessings you receive, all of the joy that you think of, it's not about you, it's about him. But the joy of the gospel message as we proclaim it is that your your salvation is founded, fought for, and fulfilled in him. Of all the mysteries of the universe, and in all that we cannot know for this coming new year, I would simply have you know your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. God speaks to us through him. He is the heir of all things and the voice of creation. All things are upheld through his word. He has purged your sins and has sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. To know your salvation, beloved, is to know your Savior, Jesus Christ. Hear the very last words that Jesus told John to write down and then to close his revelation to us at Revelation 22, 21. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ revealed to us at the beginning of Hebrews. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.